right, well, it's great to be back with you guys this morning. And one thing I want to share with you uh, that didn't get mentioned in the mission moment, uh, we just got some great news about the church plant. Uh, many of you know that we're planting in Nightdale. I want to say this to you. If you live in the Nightdale area, I don't know why you drive through Nightdale into Windell to get here because we've got a great church that is going to be planted there in Nightdale. They're building a core team right now, and uh, they are meeting in the home of uh, Josh and Christy, who are our church planters that God brought here. Uh, they are probably, let's see, four months away, at least, if not four and a half months away, from launching in Nightdale. And one of the things we have been praying for is that they would be able to locate a building, and they believe that they finally have been able uh, to get with someone that will let them lease a building. You have no idea how hard it is to find a building in Nightdale and Windell right now with all of the growth. By the time the buildings are built, they're already leased out, and he has found a place that will allow them to probably hold about 150, 125 people in services. If they need to do more than one, they'll do that. But we are celebrating with them that God answered that prayer. And I just want to encourage you that if you're looking for a place and you live in Nightdale and you want to serve and reach the community you live in, you really ought to check out Bridgepoint Church. Uh, we've planted Shine over in Archer's Lodge. We're planting Bridgepoint over in uh, Nightdale area. So I just, I'm grateful and I'm thankful for the work that God is doing there. First Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be taking a look this morning. We're finishing up this chapter and if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that, that what we've been discussing is Paul's discussion with the Corinthian church about the fact that, that he was encouraging them, don't let anything get in the way of the gospel as you seek to minister to people. If you remember, the apostle Paul said, listen, don't let things that, that maybe are tradition, don't let things that are preference get in the way. If you remember, it said that there are some things that are stumbling blocks to people. He mentioned meat offered to idols and, and all these things. And there, Am I still going? Testing, one, two, test, 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 test. Am I back on again? Okay, all right. Um, he talked about meat offered to idols and, and just all these various and sundry things. And last week when we got to the message, what we found the Apostle Paul saying was he challenged them. He said, I want y'all to think for a moment about what it means to become all things for all. Is this one bad too? Let me just grab a, a, a handheld. I, I did handheld this morning. Testing one, two. All right, there we go. Um, uh, what was I saying? Were y'all listening? Tell me what I was saying. Was anybody listening? I'm hard on microphones. Very good. Write that down. That is a great first point. All things to all. See, I knew Pastor Bill would be listening, of course. But he called, he, you know, he said, listen, we ought to be all things to all people so that we might win some. He, Paul was telling us that, you know what, we have the opportunity to reach out to people. and We ought to use any means necessary as long as it doesn't violate God's law, as long as it's not immoral, as long as it's not something that would, would put us in a bad light, not with man, but with God. He says, obviously, we ought to use everything we can to reach people. So we challenged the church last week to think about why we do the things we do and are we being the most effective that we can be in reaching people. And now this week, when we get into these last verses of chapter 9, he's really going to dig in and he's going to apply what it is that we've been talking about. He is going to come at the end of this and he is going to really drive down on us and he's going to say, listen, I want to ask you the question, are you sure that you are running the race? Are you sure that you're doing the things in life that matter the most? Are you sure 
that you know why you were created, why you were saved, why God has sent you out, and are you accomplishing those things for the glory of God? So today is going to be one of those moments that I really want you to listen and hold up a mirror. Let God's word show you honestly where you are in your walk with him today. This is one of these great verses of scripture that has so much potential to alter the course of your life. Now, all of us are running a race. You may not realize that, and all of us better be running. I love what the columnist said for the San Francisco Chronicle. He said that every morning in Africa, there are some things that are occurring. He said every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. And that gazelle knows that it must run faster than the fastest lion or else it's going to be killed. And he said also in Africa, every morning a lion wakes up and it knows that it has to outrun the slowest gazelle or it's going to starve to death. And this is what the columnist said. He said, it doesn't matter whether you're a lion or whether you're a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you'd better be running. Now, folks, I want to encourage you with that same thing. When the sun comes up on the life of a believer, we ought to be running. You may not realize that we've not been given a race. We have the race that we are running. Sometimes we think that there are many choices and many lives and many ways that we can walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But the reality is we all share this book, don't we? We all know who God is, what God has done to save us, what God expects of us. And in many ways, I always laugh because people sometimes will say, well, you know what? All of you Christians, you're just like uh, cookie cutter, uh, you know, presentations of the same thing. And I'm like, well, amen. You know why? Because we're all becoming like Jesus. We all share a mission. Every single one of us, though, in many ways we may be diverse, all of us have the same priorities, hopefully, in our life if we are truly following after Jesus Christ. And so he says to us, be sure that you are running the race. Now, what he's going to be talking about today, he's using the analogy that these people would have easily understood. Remember, Corinth was in the same area as Greece. And if you remember, we know that Greece is famous and known for still today the home and the birthplace of the Olympics, right? And every two years, we celebrate the Olympics. No longer are they just done in Athens. They're done all over the world. But many people don't realize that it wasn't just the Olympics back in that day, but alternating between the Olympics dates, there was also what they called the Isthmian Games, all right? Now, if you have a lisp, again, that's very hard to say, the Isthmian Games, all right? But that is, if you remember, they lived on an Isthmian... <laughs> See, I'm really, you think I'm playing, an Isthmus... Okay, which basically meant that they were basically this this land that joined two ma or uh, this this plot of land that basically joined these two big masses of other land. And it was surrounded pretty much by water, and because it was so thin, remember boats would come and dock, and they could move the cargo over the landmass and then get back on other boats and keep going. So it was a very important place for commerce, and because it was such an important place globally, they had these games that they would play that really rivaled the Olympics. Now the sports were different, and some of the things that they did were different. Some of you will love the fact that at the Isthmus Games, literally, they did games. One of the things, I know Kevin Rainier is going to appreciate this, and I know Nate, listen, literally, or Nate's not here anymore, is he? That's so sad. Nate's not here. He went off to college this week. You can tell Nate I mentioned him. Don't cry, Megan. I'm sorry. That's horrible for me to do that to you this morning. Haha, -ha, Nate's not here. No, I'm just kidding. Macy's not here either. Listen, you know what the reality is? They would do these games, and, and almost what we consider MMA fighting today 
happened at these games. It was grappling. It was like jujitsu-style fighting. They had wrestling matches. They would go on. Many of you recognize and remember that they loved chariot races back then. They also did art and poetry and, and different things that they considered part of these games. But it was this myriad of events. And literally, as they would do these events, it was a big deal if you came and competed and won in these games. Because, number one, it did mean that you were the best in the known world. They would send the best athletes from Athens, the best athletes from Corinth. They would all gather together, and they would basically see who was the best. But on top of that, if you won these games, literally, think about this. You didn't have to pay taxes. Can I get an amen? Could you imagine not having to pay any taxes? Tuition was free if you chose to go to one of those ed higher education places. Literally, you didn't have to fight in the military. On top of that, they would give you a statue of yourself so that when everybody came on the road to the games, there would be a statue, a little statue of yourself. But the reason they competed wasn't for any of those things, truly. What they coveted was the crown. In the Bible, when you see the word crown, it's Stephanos, which basically means a wreath. Because back in that days, that's what a crown was. It wasn't gold or things like we think about. When they talk about the, the, the crown that was given to someone who competed, it was this, this wreath that was given and made for these athletes. And they gave everything. I want you to think about it. To be the best in the world at something, you have to sacrifice. You've got to give up everything. It has to become your sole focus. Champions, listen, they're not born. They're what? They're made through discipline, through a hardworking attitude. Literally, you give up everything to follow this one thing. And I want you to think for a moment, because what the Apostle Paul is going to say is he goes, I want you to look at these guys. They literally devote their lives to a wreath, to a plant that's going to be cut, formed into a wreath. And what's eventually going to happen to that wreath? It's going to wither. It's going to die. And I want you to think for a moment, even today in our modern Olympics, we live for this one moment in our life. And, and really, it's, it's why Ecclesiastes and other books of the Bible talk about this issue, how life is fleeting, because we give our lives to things that ultimately don't truly matter. Because I want you to think for a minute, if I were to ask you who won the shot put at the last Olympics, what are all of you going to say? I have no idea. They have a gold medal. I'm sure it sits in a safe somewhere. In that one moment of glory, I'm sure that there was all this, this feeling of satisfaction. But what about in eternity? You see, we as believers, we live for eternity. Do you think... I guess the way to think about it is, have you gotten to the place in your life yet that you realize that, you know what, life is more about what is coming than what is today? That we have 70 years on this earth to prepare ourselves for what will be forever in heaven with God. And the things that we do and the things that we accomplish in this life, if you wonder how today's text fits the, the, the greater context of chapter 9, he is going to say to us today that, you know what, take serious this call to win all men by all means. 
that, that we should desire people to be saved. And what is it going to cost us in our life? What does it mean for us to devote ourselves to the great commission of Jesus Christ so that at the end of our life we know that we did the things that matter, not to us, but to God? Not for the applause of men, which I promise you is fading, but for the pleasure and the glory of God, which never fades. That's what we're talking about today. So when we read in chapter 9, verse 24, this is what these four very simple verses say. Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I want to ask you five questions this morning. I want you to answer the questions. In the stillness and in the quiet of your heart this morning, I want you to think about what the truth is for you. Because Paul is going to ask us these questions and in ways as he makes these statements, it causes us to look into our hearts and into our lives and to ask these questions. Number one, Have you settled for finishing rather than winning? You see, Paul begins this statement in verse 24, and he says, listen, the race is going to be run. And he said, and everybody in the race is going to run. He said, the question isn't, will you finish the race? What's the question? Will you win the race? Now, you see, some of us have a little heartburn with this verse because we look at it and we think, well, wait a minute, does it say only one person can win the race? Well, the reality is in races, I mean, we've become a culture where literally everybody gets a participation trophy, right? Folks, the Bible doesn't really know anything of a participation trophy. What the Bible says is that when we run the race that God has given to us to run, we should run as if we are giving everything to win that race because he says listen nobody's going to give it to you nobody's going to make it easy for you if you grew up in my household I raised two little girls I didn't care if it was Candyland; they were going to have to beat me they were going to have to win that's what competition is isn't it I'm not trying to be difficult I'm not trying to to hold down my children I just want them to understand that you got to fight for things you got to work for things you got to be disciplined in things. You have to take time to think. And so in life, I want you to see what he's saying. He's saying all of us are going to be running in some kind of a race. The question is, number one, are we on the right race? What a crazy thing to realize we've run into the wrong end zone, right? We've seen that. Or we shot into the wrong basket thinking we scored and everybody's laughing at us because the reality is we're going the complete wrong direction. But even if we're all going the right direction the same way, are you fighting? Are you desiring to win the race 
Because it's not enough just to finish. He says, one wins. Now, that doesn't mean only one person goes to heaven. It doesn't mean only one person will be rewarded. He's simply saying, you should run as if you want to be that person who wins it all. What it means to us this morning, first of all, don't forget the prize that you're running for. If you're going to run to win, it's going to be because you realize what it is that you're running for. Folks, we run for the glory of God, amen? Think about what you're running for. In this journey, in this race, what God desires, what he wants for us in the end, is he wants us to be like him, doesn't he? In the end, Christ-likeness is the goal of our life. He predestined us that we might be conformed to the image of his son. And as we abide with him, as we walk with him, as we are intimate in a personal relationship with God, it transforms all that we are. Suddenly, what he loves becomes what we love. What he hates becomes what we hate. His priorities become our priorities. And the things that matter most to God, they start to matter most to us. And knowing him shapes everything in our life. Paul would go on and say that, you know what, nothing meant more to him than knowing Jesus Christ. We also have to know what's at stake. Don't forget what's at stake. Heaven or hell is at stake. Us running the race is an eternal issue. Because if we're unwilling to do the things that God has asked us to do, to run not a race, but the race that he has set before us, it is an issue of heaven and hell for us, an issue of heaven and hell for every other person that lives on this earth. We have been sent to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a world that is dying, that you know what, we don't have to die in our sins. We don't have to be condemned in our sins that Jesus Christ can not only forgive us of our sins, but he can give us the power and the ability to change through his spirit so that we can be the people that he created us to be. We can go back to being in the image and the likeness of God. We can know what Christ's likeness looks like. We have heaven waiting for us. We long for that place, not because of gold streets, not because of pearly gates. We long for that place because it is where we will rest eternally, with God our Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, who loves us and gave Himself for us. And folks, by the billions, people live on this earth without Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you see, this race doesn't just have to do with you being saved. For many in our churches today, we think that it really is just about our salvation. And once we're saved, we're good. And once we're saved, that's it. You know, hopefully God's not going to ask me to be a preacher or a missionary. Hopefully he's not going to ask me to teach. I'm just going to be satisfied to sit in a room with other people and on Sunday mornings nod at a lesson and then go out of here and just keep living my life. Folks, that's not the call of God. That's not his purpose. That's not his plan for you. Listen, you may not realize it, 
But I have a special calling to sit up here and to preach the word of God as a pastor, elder in a local church body. But listen, you've been called to preach the gospel too. There are missionaries around the world that have left everything to go take the gospel to people that have never heard the name of Jesus. But folks, let me tell you, there are people around the block from you that don't know the name of Jesus. And you've been called to go and be a missionary to them. And you say, well, I don't have a passport. Good. Do you have a dinner table? Have you got chairs around that table that you can say to your neighbors, listen, I'd love to get to know you so that they can see Christ in you so that you might have the opportunity to share Jesus with them. That you know what? You actively live out your faith so that they have hope that one day when they leave this earth, they don't leave in their sin. But they leave under the blood of Christ who can forgive them of their sins. See, heaven and hell is at stake. Folks, we've got to be running for the prize that Christ has set before us, and we we can't forget that we do all of this for God's glory. We run for the glory of God. I love what John Wesley had to say, one of the great preachers. He said, give me 100 preachers. Now, again, I don't want you to think me. I want you to think all of you. You've been called to proclaim the good news. You've been called to make disciples, to teach them, to obey everything that Christ has commanded. Listen to what he said. He said, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God And I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. So that means whether they're members of a church or whether they're pastors in a church. Listen to what he says. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ saturating Wendell Nightdale Zebulun has more to do with your dinner table than it does this pulpit. Until we realize that, we're not going to run the race the way Christ told us to. Until we're satisfied with getting outside of these walls, that we realize that being part of a church actually isn't coming to a building, but it's going out from that building to the ends of the earth, beginning right where you live, serving in the community, at the workplace, in the neighborhood where you live. And as God gives you opportunity, you spread the gospel as far as he takes your feet around this world, wherever it is that you're going, make sure that you are taking the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you're saying the name Jesus. Now, when I say taking the gospel of Christ, I'm not asking you to go out and invite people to Hepzibah. You see, it's easy to say, hey, come to Hepzibah. It's easy to say, hey, I want you to introduce you to our pastor Aaron. You ought to hear him preach. Or, hey, I've got this connect group leader that it's an amazing class with great friendly people. You would really make some good connections. I want you to to come with me to church to go do that. All of that is good. All of that is useful. But none of that is the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hephzibah should be harder to say than Jesus, right? It took me a year to figure out how to say Hephzibah properly. But there's something about that name, isn't there? 
And have you ever wondered why it's so hard to say Jesus in the marketplace and at home with family, around a dinner table with friends? You know why it's so hard? Because spiritually, let me tell you what's going on. There is no other name but Jesus. Not Hepzibah, not Aaron Wallace, not whoever your connect group leader is. None of those names matter because none of those names can save you. There is no name under heaven or on earth that can save except the name of Jesus. And so we got we to gotta be sure. We got to be honest with ourselves. When's the last time? Statistically, 96% in churches have never truly shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with another soul. The life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, talking to them about their sin. Being willing to confront sinfulness so that they realize, listen, our sin condemns. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin leads to death, and the only way that we can be saved from that death is if someone takes our place and pays the penalty for the sins that we've committed. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why he died on the cross. That's why he was buried. That's why he was raised again. He died in our place, taking our sin, giving us his righteousness. And if you'll call on that name of Jesus, you'll be saved. If you'll repent of your sins and place your faith in him that he alone can save you, you'll be saved. Surrender to him today. That's the, procl- that's the sharing of the gospel. That's how a human being is saved. Anything short of that is what Paul is concerned about here. Yeah, we're all running a race and, well, I'll, I'll sit in a class with children or I'll host a trunk or treat trunk or I'll coach a basketball team or Listen, all of those things are necessary because they are a means to an end. But if the end isn't sharing Jesus' name, then guess what? We're not running the race as he intends us to. The second question, have you settled for comfort rather than discipline? See, if you're going to win a race, you've got to be disciplined. If you're going to win the Olympics, you got to get off the couch, right? I mean, you can't sit on the couch and eat ho-hos every day and think that somehow you're going to win the Olympic event that you're trying to win, right? You have to live like nobody else lives. You give up the comforts that everybody else chooses to live by because you're going to give up everything to be the best basketball player, the best baseball player, or the best wrestling guy, or whatever it is that you've chosen. You believe that that end, that thing, is what matters more than anything else in life. So you know what? You set aside sleep. You put down burgers and fries. You practice over and over and over again, and you lift weights over and over and over again. When all your friends are staying out late, you're going to bed early. Why? Because you know you got to get up the next day and do it all over again. But you want that thing so desperately that you'll give up everything. You see, we all know what discipline looks like. It requires prioritization. I want you to look at your life today and ask yourself, do I really have the right priorities in place? 
Do I have God's priorities in place? Folks, I'm going to be real honest with you. The reason, the main primary reasons that people do not serve in churches, it's too much of a commitment. Well, I, I don't know where you thought somehow following Jesus wasn't a commitment. We're being obedient to share the gospel or to teach people how to live out their faith, our own children, right? We're satisfied with not having enough teachers and children and youth. Why? Well, because I've got vacation. I've got a vacation home, and I've got vacation toys. And those things are the priority. If I have to pay them, I may as well use them. Let me ask you a question. How, just, how do you think that's going to sound at the feet of Jesus one day? Think about that for a second. And before you say, well, Aaron, you don't understand, no, I had to answer the same questions to go into ministry. I had to ask questions like, am I willing to be 10 hours from my family to serve here? We're like NASCAR. We race on Sunday. Guess what? I'd love to go, just like anybody else, to watch a golf tournament or go see a race. And I'd love to spend every other weekend at, at the beach like anybody else. But you know what? There's a greater calling that is on my life, and I hate to break it to you. That same calling is on your life. The greatest crisis in the church today is that people have put church being part of a body. And you say to yourself, well, you know what? It doesn't matter. I get as much at the beach house as I do at church. You've missed the point. I'm not asking you to be here for you. I'm asking you to be here for children, for teenagers. Hey, well, you know what? My kids, I'm a godly wife and a godly husband, and, and, and our kids are taken care of. Great. Is our attitude really going to be, well, my four have it? No more? I'm not worried. They're not mine. I don't have an obligation to them. Is that really what we're going to stand before Jesus one day and offer up? Folks, you're going to hear me say at the end, we have mistakenly thought that we are on a playground on this life and in this life instead of a battleground, which we're going to get into. Folks, we have 70 years, if we're fortunate, to use all that we have hoping that we can win our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers the nations to Jesus Christ because in the end that's all that's going to matter is heaven and hell did they know him or not know him and all those things that you live for you're going to find that when they're put to a test they're going to they're going to burn away you're going to find out that they didn't matter that they weren't eternal folks we have to prioritize our life I love the way one pastor put it, he said, self-discipline requires the ability to say no when necessary and not just to things that are sinful. You know how the old saying goes, the good is the enemy of the best. Serving God, listen to this, write this down. Serving God involves narrowing our focus to things with the highest eternal value. Serving God involves narrowing our focus 
to the things with the highest eternal value. Life is full of good things that take our focus off the best Christ has to offer. And it is up to us to identify them and to choose accordingly. Discipline requires sacrifice. Discipline requires self-control. It means that every morning, and, and listen, here's the thing. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, I don't like to get up in the morning, I will, but I will get up for things. It just depends on whether or not they're important to me. If you ask me to get up at 4 in the morning to go fishing at the coast, guess what? I'm up. And I ain't just up, I'm excited. Some of y'all know that. Some of you are hunters. Now, I don't understand you hunters. I'm going to be real honest with you. Getting up at 4 in the morning in the dead of winter, I don't get Summer, maybe. Winter, there's something wrong with your medulla oblongata a little bit, I think. Sitting in a little house, shooting something you then got to drag out of the woods and gut and everything else. I just don't get it. But some of you, guess what? If we say we're going to get up at 2 in the morning to go do that and be ready, you do it. You wouldn't even hesitate. You wouldn't think twice about it. Get up to see a sunset. Get up to do our workout routines but then we start talking about things like hey why don't we get up and do a quiet time and what's going to happen oh man I'm (laughs) you have no idea how busy I am man I'm just tired y'all I I just I just can't do it I could turn around and two seconds later say hey you want to go fishing four in the morning yeah man I'll meet you at the house do you see what the issue is? Like, listen, I'm pointing a finger at me. I'm not just, listen, this isn't me pointing at you. This is me using examples that I know I struggle with. Self-denial. Doing what is right and good and best, knowing that it feeds my soul so that I can feed the soul of my family and the ones that I love and care about and reach my neighbor's for Christ. I can't grow in Christ. I can't be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ unless I get up and I get in his word and I pray. If I'm not praying, if I'm not reading the word, you know how much chance I have of growing in my faith and being any help to another lost soul out there? Zero. That's why he says, listen, Everyone who competes in the games, they have to exercise self-control in what things? Some things, a few things. We got to get control of all of our life. All of our life. Everything today should be on the table for your evaluation. For me, should be on the table for my evaluation of is this eternal? Does this matter? Is this thing keeping me from doing that which matters the most, that which is eternal, that which honors God and pleases God. The third question I want you to ask, have you settled for the perishable rather than the imperishable? This is where Paul really is driving home on the Corinthian church because he's trying to say to them, I want you to look at the lives of the people around you. They devote everything for a crown that is going to fade, a crown that is going to perish, a a crown that is literally going to rot. They're, They're giving their lives for one moment in time that everybody 10 years from now will completely forget. But what about the eternal things? What about life 
forever. Nobody dies. I hope you realize that there's not a soul that has ever lived that is going to die and remain dead in the ground and cease to exist. Everybody is going to live forever. The question is, heaven, hell. With God as their father who loves them and they enter into his inheritance as a co-heir with Christ or separated from God where they only know him as judge. And they sit under condemnation. And folks, heaven and hell are both real. What are you settling for? Perishable things or imperishable things? I already told you that the winners of these games, they don't have to pay taxes, all these things. They get little statues, and, and, and they, they live for these little crowns made of wild celery is what it's made out of. And they devote their life to that. And he says, what about us who have life, who know God, who are the heirs of salvation? What about those of us who have the answers to all of what is killing the world around us? What are we willing to devote our lives to? I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it because he says, listen, for those of you that will give your life not to a perishable crown like the Corinthians, he says, but we're fighting for an imperishable crown. One that lasts, one that never goes away. And it's interesting when you do a study on the crowns in the New Testament, it really is talking about the rewards of believers because literally there will be a day when we give an account to God for the life that we lived. And it's not going to be about the sins we commit or don't commit. The reality is those sins have been covered in the blood of Jesus. We're not going to stand before God to be tried on whether or not we're condemned. Listen, if we are in Christ, we have life in Christ. We will not stand in that judgment. But he says there is a judgment that we will stand in as believers. Where our lives will be put to the test. Our motives... What we did with the talents and the gifts that God gave us, did we consume them on ourselves or did we use them for his kingdom and for his glory? Let that sink in. He's going to ask you one day, believer. I mean, think about if you were a parent. Remember when our parents would leave town and we were about 16 years old and they'd say, look, we're coming back in four days. You lived like they were coming back in how many days? In four days, you ever remember the time when they called and said, oh, by the way, we're coming home a day early. What happens in your heart? You have a heart attack because the house looks like a bomb blew off. Everything they've asked you to do before they left, you haven't done any of it. And you are in a panicked frenzy because you know they're coming again. Well, folks, Jesus is coming again. And we will stand before him. What are we going to say when he says, tell me about the disciples you made? Well, I, I did go to church. That's not what I asked you. I didn't ask you if you were religious. I asked you, did you do what I asked you to do? Tell me about forgiving those people that were hard to forgive. Tell me about loving your enemy. I want you to tell me about 
how much of your time you gave to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. Why don't we put vacations up against missions and see is there, what does the priority look like? What we take on ourselves and spend on ourselves versus what we spend in eternity and for eternity. Let's, let's, I mean, could you imagine sitting before him and him asking those questions? Are you ready for that? Because that day is coming. And he says, listen, I want you to run the race for crowns that matter, not this crown that's going to disappear one day. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 25, he says, listen, there is a victor's crown for those who run the race to win. He says, there's a victor's crown. In James chapter 1, verse 2, he says that, you know what, there's a crown of life that is given to to believers, And he says, those who persevere, those who stand strong in their faith through all that they face, they finish the race well, which is what we're talking about, right? He says to them, I'm going to give them a crown of life. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, listen, I fought the good fight. I've run the race, right? I've done what Christ has asked me to do. Here is a man that at the end of his life, listen, he doesn't fear standing before God. Isn't that an amazing thing? He says to Timothy, listen, I'm dying. Other times I've gotten out of these predicaments. Other times I've been freed from prison. He says, but I believe this time I'm not going to make it out of this imprisonment. And what does he say? He says, listen to me. Beyond any shadow of a doubt, I know that I've done what Christ has asked me to do. I ran the race. I fought the good fight, right? And he says, and I know that there is laid up for me in heaven a crown of righteousness that I will receive from Jesus himself. And so will anybody who loves his coming. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, we're told of a crown of glory. I want you to remember that you say, well, that sounds like a lot of hardship, a lot of suffering, following Jesus, doing the things that he asked us to do. It is. But I want you to remember, we have this promise from God, this promise from his son, that if you'll share in my sufferings, you'll also what? You'll share in my glory. Listen, there's no way to share in his glory without sharing in his what? Suffering. If somebody told you, that following Christ means that never again will you face any kind of hardship, any kind of suffering. Listen, they lied to you. If they said that all of this ends in your best life now, do you understand? He never promised us a best life now. What did he say? He said, I'll promise you one in eternity. Your rest isn't here, but rest is coming. Your treasure's not here. It's stored up for you in heaven. And we leave it all on the field while we're here. We leave it all on the track. And he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, it's interesting because he's talking about those with whom he has shared his faith, which ultimately, again, is the context of this. 
He became all things to all men that some might be saved. And literally, he's looking at those that were saved, and he says, you have become my joy and my crown, the crown of rejoicing. Folks, I want you to see ultimately what we're struggling for, what we're fighting for, what we're disciplined for, what we're running for, what this race is all about is that ultimately Jesus says those who will persevere, those who will fight the good fight will run the good race. Those who love me and are looking for my appearing because they're obeying me and doing what I've asked them to do in this life. He says, listen, I will give to them life. I will give to them joy and and rejoicing. I will give to them glory. I will clothe them in my own righteousness. Amen. And he says, I will give them those things that nothing and no one can take away. That'll be remembered throughout eternity. You say, well, what's the opposite of running for crowns that are imperishable? Well, we can have the failure of choosing that which is perishable. We should avoid true failure, and here's what it looks like. Living without knowing and believing what life is all about. Now, let me say that again and slow that down. Living. If this is true failure, living without knowing, and notice I didn't leave leave it at knowing what life is all about. What did I say? Knowing and believing, because what does believing bring to the equation? It brings action. I can know the right thing and not do it. I can know what's true and not act on it. You see, most of us are satisfied in this life. We'll leave this room going, wow, now I know. Now I know the truth. Now I know what the Bible says. Now, now, now. Listen, it doesn't matter what you sense in this room and say, well, now I see it. The question is, when you leave the room, do you live it? Because we haven't been called to be just hearers of the word, but what? Doers of the word. And if it never gets from our brain to our heart, if it never becomes the action of our life, then here's the reality. We don't believe what we say we believe. We may know it. We may even applaud it. But if you believe it, it changes the course of your life. What we have today in the church, the building, the American church today is a lot of people that know and a few people that believe. And folks, we better get real today and ask the Lord, which of those two am I? Living without knowing and believing what life is truly all about. Secondly, people live in true failure because they feed on things that don't satisfy. Money will not satisfy. Fame will not satisfy. The relationship that you're pursuing that you think will give you everything you long for, it will not satisfy. Anything in this life that is not Jesus Christ, is not Christ alone, I promise you it is doomed to leave you more hungry than when you found that thing. It will offer you no satisfaction. But Jesus can, and Jesus will. Listen, money can't buy forgiveness, can it? We don't need anything more in our life worse than forgiveness and grace and mercy, things that this world does not offer us and cannot give us. 
Thirdly, true failure is thinking that you have everything only to find out in the end that you had nothing that mattered. And we'll get to that in the last point. The fourth major point, you've settled for finishing rather than winning, settled for comfort rather than discipline. You've settled for perishable rather than imperishable. Have you settled for living aimless rather than living for the kingdom of God? I love the way he puts it here. He says, therefore, I run in such a way as not aimless, as not without aim. You know what he says? He says, listen, everybody's going somewhere. The question is, do you know where you're going? Do you have the goal in mind that God has in mind? Let me go ahead and share with you a little secret about life. You can have all the goals you want. Goals do not equal purpose. What if they're the wrong goals? I mean, if you're playing basketball, does it matter which goal you shoot in? Yeah, because one gives you points. The other gives the other people points. Think it matters what end zone you run to? Yes, it does matter. The goal matters. And some of us think as long as we have goals, that's all that matters. No, are your goals in line with God's goals? We can't just drift anywhere and hope to end up somewhere. Do you know where you're going in life? An Olympic athlete, they know where they're going, right? They know what they have to do to get to the place that they are going, and they surrender everything. Do you know where you are going, or are you just wandering aimlessly through this life, hoping this will bring you joy, or that will bring you joy, or this will make you content, or that will make you content, or this will bring me peace, or that will bring me peace? And we just go from thing to thing to thing, never satisfied. Or do we look to God and say, show me the way that I'm supposed to go so that I'm not going anywhere hoping to end up somewhere. Folks, the Bible says there is a race set before us, and we've talked about that. And I want you to understand what kind of a race it is. When you go to Hebrews, here's what he says. We are surrounded by a great cloud of what? Witnesses. Let me tell you who those witnesses are. They are the ones that ran the race before you. It's Moses. It's David. It's Elijah. It's Jeremiah. It's the Apostle Paul. It's Billy Graham. It's all those people that ran before us, and I want you to understand what they've done. For thousands of years, they have run the race all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Adam. They've run the race. And now we get to this year, we get to this moment. And you know what's happened? We find out that it isn't just our race, but it is a race that's been run. And now they're trying to hand me what? A baton. I can't think of anything worse to dishonor everything and everybody that's come before us than to get the baton and go, thanks, but no thanks. Or, you know what? I want to run, but I've got a few things I need to do before I run. You know what? I'm just tired. As if everybody else that ran wasn't tired. I can't think of a greater tragedy than to think that baton that has been passed 
from generation to generation to generation to generation the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that men and women can be saved, that now it sits squarely in our hands in this generation. And the question becomes, are you going to run or are you going to stand there? That's how serious this text is. That's how serious the challenge is. He says, you have a race. The baton's in your hand. You can say, well, I, I didn't want to race. Well, you were called to race. Well, I didn't make that choice. Well, yes, when you were saved, you died so that Christ could live through you. You became the slave. He became the what? Master. He's the king. Evaluate your goals in light of God's word. You're not going to be able to drift any, go anywhere hoping to end up somewhere. You've got to be sure that you're running the race that God has set before you and evaluate. Your, that's the best thing I can tell you today. Sit down and evaluate your goals, your priorities, and see is the way that I'm living, living up to what God has asked me to do and who he's asked me to be. And lastly, have you settled for the playground rather than the battleground? He says, listen, I'm going to fight. He says, I box in such a way, not beating the air. He's saying, I'm not shadow boxing. He says, I'm in a real deal battle. And he says, it matters what I do because this battle matters. And he says, it's interesting, at the very end he says, and I want to be sure that what I preach is what I live so that I'm not disqualified. What he's saying to us is we must not spend our time sightseeing, window shopping, or out there picking flowers. You might do that on a playground, but folks, we're not on a what? What are we not on? We're not on a playground. What are we on? We're on a battleground. You do that on a battleground, what happens? You catch a bullet. You get run over. You were defeated. Because a soldier isn't concerned. Now listen again. 2 Timothy chapter 2, talking about discipleship. He says a good soldier isn't concerned with the affairs of this world say, but I like picking flowers. Well, who doesn't? I like window shop. Who doesn't? But if that's what you give your whole life to, you fail to understand you're on a battleground and not on a playground. We must be in the ring fighting our enemies. And folks, do not misunderstand what I'm saying there. The enemy is not the lost world around us. Quit acting like they are our enemy. Folks, they are the ones whom God is trying to save. We have enemies. The flesh. Fight the flesh. Fight the evil desires within you. We have an enemy, the devil, who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. He is a real enemy. We have the world and its systems that are fighting against God and what he says is right and good and true. We have to choose what is right, good, and true over what the world says. We have real enemies to fight. But it's not the lost guy sitting next to you. He needs the gospel. She needs the gospel. 
But you better be fighting those other enemies because if those enemies are overcoming you, the flesh, the devil, the world, then the third thing is going to be your issue. We must be careful not to be disqualified. It's not the loss of salvation that he's talking about. Hear me. It's not the loss of salvation. You know what it's the loss of? Usefulness. Testimony. God not receiving the glory that he's due. It literally means when he talks about being disqualified, it means to stand the test. We have a God that looks at every motive, every word, every action. He's not just concerned with apparent results. He's concerned about the why and the how we do what it is that we do. And Paul wants to win the crown. And he knows that if he's going to do it, he has to play by the rules. Just because he preaches to other people how to play the game doesn't mean that he doesn't have to play it the right way. Because if you don't play the right way, what do we call that? It's cheating, and if you cheat, what happens? You're disqualified, and everything that you did, everything that you put into it, now has become what? Nothing. Do you see the gravity of what we're talking about today? Do you feel the gravity of what we're talking about today? Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. That, Lord, in these moments, we're mindful, Lord, that we're not without hope, regardless of what we see in the mirror as we look At your word today, we are reminded that your mercies are new every morning. Lord, we are reminded that even if your light shows us that we have many dark places where we're sinning, many dark places where we have the wrong priorities, many dark places where we have just surrendered to the world and surrendered to our flesh and surrendered to the enemies that are around us, Lord, you tell us that, you know what, we can look at that that picture of what we've drawn today and it's a mess. It's not beautiful. It doesn't bring you honor and glory. And Lord, to think that you would meet us here in this moment. And if we'll confess our sins to you, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and you'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, that your word is true, that your mercies are new every day. And you'll take that ruined picture and the thought that you would rip it off And you would say, son, daughter, today's a new day. Walk with me. Trust me. Believe me. Lord, we don't deserve grace like that. How many pictures lay crumpled on the floor? And yet, Lord, we come to you again asking, Change me. Help me to put feet to my faith. To stop making excuses for my sin. 
to lay down the things in this world that I'm chasing that are distracting me from eternity and the things that matter. Lord Jesus, we just need you today to break through the hardness of our hearts and to shine light so that we can be honest, transparent, and sincere to you because that's the only kind of faith that you'll receive. So Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would see that, Lord, you alone bring hope for salvation. You alone can forgive us of our sins. You alone can change our eternity away from hell and towards a personal relationship with you where we get to walk forever in heaven the way it was intended from the beginning with you. The cool of the day, worshiping, praising, Father, we just ask today that if there's someone here that doesn't know you, they would confess their sins today. Believe, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross for their sins. That's why they're forgiven. It's because of your death on Calvary's cross. And you took their sin from them and nailed it to that cross and you paid the price for it. And Lord, you have given to them your perfect life. All their sin for your perfections Lord, that's what's been promised to them. And God, I pray that today they would surrender their life to that truth, confessing their sins, turning from their sins, asking you to change them. And Lord, may they surrender to you today, letting you be king, letting you be Lord of their life. May they die spiritually in, in a way that allows you to live spiritually. Lord, may they die to themselves. May they die to their own way. And may they follow you. And Lord, there's so much here for the church today, so much for all of us. God, don't let us leave until we do business with you, until we settle in our hearts whether or not we're going to run this race and take the baton and give it all we've got. Trusting you to do even more that we can't do. In Jesus' name, amen.